Um, I went to St. Peter's, the Episcopal Church. I attend when I'm there, and of course it was Pentecost Sunday. And they did a really lovely thing in the service that I wasn't expecting. Nobody announced this. It was like it was time for the lectionary reading, and always, of course, and it's, they're very high church there. I'm the, you know, hillbilly Pentecostal, so this was one, one week where I felt at home. Like, it was time for the lectionary reading, and that was, of course, Acts 2, the story of the Spirit being poured out on the church. So when the person got up to read from the front in English, at the same time, all over the room, anybody there who kind of, you know, was of a different nationality also stood up and started reading the same text in their own language. And one of the things I love most about it is that since that wasn't announced, it was, you could feel the actual bewilderment in the room, you know, of the high church Episcopalians. Like, what is happening right now? You could just feel that kind of dread, which is what I'm most at home in, you know, like whenever... Things get awkward and everybody else is tensing. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is church. This is what, <laughs> if things feel like they could be getting weird. And um, it, just, it just reminded me that when the Spirit was poured out on the church, that the first sign, the first wonder, I mean, it wasn't, you know, yes, they're praising God. And yes, people are going to preach the gospel with authority and power. And there'll be signs and wonders and miracles. But the first thing that happens when the Holy Spirit is given to the church is that everybody around is bewildered. That, that's, that's sign one. Everybody's freaked out. Nobody knows what's going on. Everybody's utterly confused. And I think in that really is a pattern for how God works, for how revelation of any sort about anything works, is that there's always got to be confusion first. The bewilderment precedes any sort of clarity. God never just comes along and makes it clear. You need to be confused first. And I really think that. I think bewilderment is good for you. That's what I think. Um, so in the spirit of that, it is this season where we reflect on Pentecost and we're able to be bewildered together. And before I say anything more, let's just, let's pray one more time. It is, Lord, gathered in your presence on Trinity Sunday is such a, is such a special thing. Just to think about how you exist eternally, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a full and complete community in yourself that you're inviting us into. You're inviting us into fellowship with you. You're inviting us into union with you. And it is good this morning to be able to forget about everything else that encumbers us for a little while and just to focus on that union, Lord, the union that we have with you and with each other that shapes us. So I pray now that you would just... um, Really allow us, like Ephesians says, to sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus, to abide with you, to be with you, and to be with each other, uh, undistracted, um, able to hear. And I pray specifically because I feel like I feel like the things that you want to say to us in this message, you just so want to hand tailor and personalize. And uh, I'm just aware that I, I just can't get the job done this morning by explaining anything. We really do need you to shine your light in very particular ways within this community, within our own hearts, to illuminate things within our own selves so that we can get some clarity. And if that involves a troubling of the waters, if that involves a bewilderment first, we will welcome that because we welcome you, Spirit of Truth, to reveal all that you would want to reveal. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. So uh, I don't want to overplay this. I've kind of been, I don't know, I'm in a weird place in my life. I've always been the 
in the circles that I travel in, I feel like I always got pegged as being the cerebral one, like kind of too lost in my head and whatever. And it's just such a strange season because now I feel like everything's so spirit-y. And uh, if I'm a mystic of any sort, it's really by accident, I promise, because I'm just not, I don't know how to flow with any of that. But it was strange because uh, a week ago, um, actually part of the same experience, won't go into the whole story, but I feel like the Lord spoke to me as clear as I feel like I ever hear God about a message about the service, and it seems so clear, but I hadn't looked up the lectionary text, and I didn't know what it was. So then last Sunday night, when I saw what the text was, which is John 3, 1 through 17, it freaked me out a little bit, because I feel like everything that I was seeing was about specifically the wind of the Spirit, and how we respond to the wind of the Spirit, and so when I saw this, it unnerved me in the best possible way. John 3, beginning with verse 1, let's go there together. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. And let's stop here for just a moment. I really want to go to verse 8 and pay special attention to it, actually. But if you'll permit me just a footnote here. I'm really struck now when I read John 3 because this is the famous text for us about being born again. You know, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. You must be born again. I'm really fascinated now, not hating on anything, as the kids say in 2002. Um, <laughs> it's like all my pop culture references are always horribly outdated. I should try none of them. But, you know, we always think of born again like we've turned this into such a, a mechanized thing. The, the Roman road and all of that, explaining four spiritual laws. It's not bad. If that's how you came to faith, I am not making fun at all. It just strikes me a little funny now because when I read a text like this exchange between Jesus and Nicodemus, it's so clear that being born from above is something that kind of has to happen to you, something that comes from beyond yourself, something that's very hard to explain, something that is very mystical and transformative in nature. It is not this sort of like, well, I, I've, I got the principles down, you know, I said the right prayer, I said the magic words. There is a deeper, more mysterious transaction that goes on here than that, that really transcends this, you know, preacher led me in the magic prayer and then everything changed. That's, you know, not that Jesus won't change you. In fact, he'll change you a lot, but I just think it's much more traumatic, you know, in the way that birth is traumatic and and messy, and it's not, it's not so propositional. That's what I want to say. Let's go to verse 8. <laughs> the wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. I'm going to read that one more time, if you don't mind, just for my own benefit. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you a teacher of Israel and yet do not understand these things? 
Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And the part we all know and love, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that he, everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And as much as I would love to talk about being born again, according to this text, I cannot get away from what Jesus says here about the Spirit, especially in this season of Pentecost. No one knows where the wind comes from. No one knows where the wind is going. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. Here so many of us thought that all we did was believe a handful of ideas about Jesus, affirm the Apostles' Creed, and that everything from here was going to be neat and linear, and we'd get a little bit closer to Jesus every day, and every day we'd go from glory to glory and just keep ascending, ascending, ascending. How much of a surprise it is the more we get to know the wind of the Spirit. And we find that um, if our understanding of God is that he's the one who's always just going to kind of make us feel better and take us to higher heights, if that's how you think of God, God turns out to be highly unreliable. The Spirit's very unreliable. I've never said anything like that before, but I'm I'm holding to it in this way. Not that I don't believe that God is trustworthy, But if you think that the Spirit can be conjured easily, we're going to get together and we're going to pray this way. We're going to do these things. Put your a dollar, I started to say 75 cents. See, it's outdated. Put your dollar 50 into the soda machine and you are guaranteed to get this outcome. Spirit is very unreliable. Because what happens is you, 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 you're not looking for him at all. You're not looking for the Spirit at all. And the Spirit shows up and does something extraordinary. Then you decide to go on a 40-day fast. And nothing happens. You didn't have your quiet time. And God shows up in some extraordinary way. You read your Bible for an hour and a half and feel like nothing's moving in your soul. Now, we need those disciplines and practices. Don't get me wrong. Um, I, I, I don't know. I always thought in churches I grew up in, and I don't think this was all bad, but it's like, you know, you're going to have like a miracle healing service of some sort. Well, tonight's going to be the night for miracles. And, and sometimes that would happen. But of course, if you advertise a miracle and healing service, then even if there are not miracles or healings, we have to act like they're miracles and healings because we advertised it was going to be. I'm just saying, in this regard, the Spirit can be very unreliable. <laughs> Because you don't get to tame the spirit, you don't get to domesticate the spirit, you don't get to order around the spirit, you don't get to just kind of give your order and then, you know, it's going to be there in 30 minutes or less or you get your pizza for free. Like there are none of those things happening with the Holy Spirit. What you get is a whole lot of unpredictability and people that sign up for life with God, life in the spirit, are signing up for an unpredictable life where you don't always know where you're going, don't know exactly where all of this came from, sometimes it can feel like you're hanging on for dear life. And yet, here's how I think about it these days. 
this whole analogy for um, spirit and wind or breath is so old that goes all the way back to the beginning of the Genesis story. And I'm just so convinced at this point in my life that like, the, the, the spirit really is always at work in the wind. Not only is the spirit um, work like a wind, but, but kind of in the wind, which is not a way of saying that I think everything that happens to us is directly caused by God. I'm not going to get super theological today. I don't think this would be that helpful. But I don't think God is directly doing everything. I just think that God is always in everything. <laughs> that just sounded so nonsensical even to me. Not that I think God is doing everything, but that God is in everything. So, so, so to put it like this, you know, whether or not the wind is a cool breeze on your face, or whether or not the wind picks up your house and throws you out of Kansas into another place, you know, whether or not it is the whirlwind or whether it is a gentle breeze, I do think the Spirit is always somehow mysteriously found in the wind, in the wind that brings change. Um, in the wind that stirs things up and blows things around doesn't mean again that every single thing is orchestrated by God. You're not a chess piece on a board, uh, on a board or something. I don't think anything like that. But I do think when the wind is blowing, wherever it comes from, whatever caused it, whether that be barometric pressure, whether that be, I don't know what always causes the wind to move the way that it does. I just know that God is always at work in the wind somewhere. There's always an invitation in the wind. There's always something that God is doing. What, what I think makes this especially challenging then is that we, the, when the wind blows, when the wind moves, wherever it comes from, however it comes to us, we always then have a choice as to whether or not we will move with that wind, if we'll cooperate with the wind, or we're going to move against it. And I find that often our thinking as people of faith sort of, directly conspires against moving with the wind because we do want to be so certain and we do want everything to be so clear. It makes us fairly inflexible people. And I would say if there's anything that marks people of the spirit, people who are following this Jesus, it is extreme flexibility. It's extreme adaptability. I feel like sometimes what has been modeled for us as the ideal of faith is that you become this person who no matter what happens, you know, you're, you're going to stand here like this. And look, yeah, I mean, that works to a point, right? Like I love the whole, in the Old Testament, um, I love Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They don't bow to the false gods. Like that's a good time, that's a good way of like standing firm and standing rooted. Like I'm for that. But I'm telling you, generally speaking, if you stand like this, no matter where and how the wind blows, it will break you. That's all that's going to happen is it will break you. And there's nothing especially sanctified, holy, whatever, about being so dogmatic and so resistant that no matter what else is happening around you, you are not going to bend. I don't think that's always what faithfulness looks like. Sometimes faithfulness looks like adapting to the wind. Sometimes faithfulness means you've got to be willing to move in ways that might seem incredibly uncomfortable. I keep thinking this week, um, in my own prayer time, I really felt led back to Genesis 1. And I love this text a lot, but I'd never read it in this translation. I was reading the NRSV. And in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, when it's talking about, of course, the earth being formless, void, and darkness, the way it phrases it explicitly is, 
you know, the formless void, the darkness covered the face of the deep, the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. I just love that so much. The, 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 the way that the Spirit always works is not to eliminate the darkness, is not to eliminate all uncertainty, is not to eliminate anything that's, um, that's somehow unclear, but to sweep over the darkness. Not to eliminate, but to hover over it until something is created, something new is created, something new is given birth to. See, that's my concern, is that if we don't learn to move with this Spirit then we essentially make a decision that new life will not be possible for us. Because we're always clinging on to the old in such a way. Whereas if it doesn't happen like this, I'm actually finding that oftentimes what people of God have to do is to be willing to sit in the deep darkness longer than anybody else. Sit in it a little bit longer until the spirit has hovered in such a way that some order starts to come, that light starts to come, that creation starts to come. But if you're so fundamentally uncomfortable with darkness, if you're so fundamentally uncomfortable with uncertainty that you won't stay there long enough for the wind of the spirit to blow over you, for the wind of the, the, wind of the spirit wants to sweep over your deep darkness, wants to sweep over the uncertainty, not to eliminate, but to sweep over. We have to welcome the Spirit in this way, which means uh, a great deal of the time we have a sense that we have no idea what we're doing. That's okay, but that's why we need the Spirit in that way. We trust that the Spirit will bring order, that the Spirit will bring clarity, that the Spirit will, the Spirit will bring the Spirit. The Spirit will bring new life. The Spirit is the one who will bring this kind of birth. We don't have to engineer these things for ourselves. Um, I don't know if any of this is making sense at all. I will, um, for me, it's just so different because the way I would have thought about all these things before is that if the wind is blowing and there are things around me or in me that are changing or shifting, then the way I would be, I, I was trained, the way I was formed, is if I didn't like how any of that felt and it didn't fit my ideal for what the world should look like, then I would say something like, I don't receive that. I want an actual show of hands. Who has ever used that sentence in your life before? I don't receive that. Somebody says something to you, something like, well, I just, I just don't receive that. Okay, that's great. You don't have to... You don't have to receive it, but I think what actually happens in all that <laughs> is that it becomes like a, you know, it's not really a walk of faith, it's just denial. Boy, isn't that a good time? I just don't receive it. Cool. Don't receive reality. That will change everything. Because, of course, the best way to be formed in Christ-likeness is click your heels together three times and just keep pretending that you're going home and you'll be home, right? I mean, who's it ever worked for? This is all, this is all I'm saying. Um, I definitely like that whole deal because I got some of this, too. It's like we have these promises in the Bible, the Word of God, and I would see people where it would be, you know, things start to change, and again, it's not going to according to plan. So when God isn't holding up his end of the bargain, 
and the spirit seems to be unreliable, then you start, you know, like binding God to things, right? So there would be this language of, God, I have this promise, I bind you to your word. I bind you to your word. And one of the ways that we know that God is a merciful and compassionate God is that we say things like this and God does not smite us. This is how we know. This is how we know that God actually is good. It's because he didn't kill us when we said things like that. As if the Bible is a book of spells and incantations. And all we have to do is recite the magic abracadabra. Oh, well, if you say it like, if you put it like that, if you pray it in Jesus' name, okay. That, that's, that's really not how this works. And the way we have to learn this often is really, really hard. That would be great if God were a genie in a bottle. But the fact of the matter is, like, I don't know which God we're talking about here, but if it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if it's the God of the Exodus, if it's the God who raised up Israel out of Egypt, this is not how things work. You don't get to tell him what to do. You don't get to order the world, you don't get to order God, and here's the thing, you don't get to order the people around you, like it just doesn't work like that at all. None of that works. There has to be an adaptability, some kind of flexibility, some kind of room for the wind to blow in really unexpected ways. Because see, I think like, I'm all for wishful thinking. I, I do a lot of wishful thinking. I just don't think you should make a religion out of it. You know what I'm saying? Like a religion of wishful thinking is not going to take you anyway. Sanctified denial is still denial, right? <laughs> so <laughs> if this is really the, the way things work, I've just, I hesitate to even use examples, but I want to use examples. So like if the, you were you certain the career path, right? You were certain just the trajectory you were going, Something changes. You get let go from a job. You don't get a promotion that you just knew you were going to get. That Maybe even you felt like God promised you. And boy, have I been there, right? It, it, doesn't it really stink when you really did think in some way you heard from God? And this is what God was doing. And now this, is, this isn't what's happening. That's really, really disorienting. So when that happens, if you dig in and say, this is just not the way it's supposed to be. How many times in my life that I've seen good, God-fearing, conservative, evangelical folks where one day the son or daughter comes home and says, there's an unexpected pregnancy, or says, I'm gay. Well, that's not, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I don't receive that. <laughs> Everybody just got super nervous. I'm not getting the politics of anything. I'm talking about... What is the batting average of standing there and saying, this is not happening, this is not happening? Like, what is that? I don't think this is the way things should be. But, but pastor, I just think you can think whatever you want. I'm just saying, whatever you think about it, does it change a blessed thing? What you think about it, does it change? How you feel about it, does it change? <laughs> The question always has to become, when things are turned upside down, whether you perceive it as good or bad, light or dark, is irrelevant. What's the invitation of the Spirit for me here? What's the invitation of the Spirit for me in this situation? You don't have to figure out whether or not how the wind is moving is good or bad. You don't have to label it as positive or negative. What you can know for certain 
is that there's an invitation now for the Holy Spirit to do something new in you. And we have an option as to whether or not we're going to see that. What is it, Lord, that you want to show me now? Instead of, I can't believe that the deck is being dealt this way, what are you inviting me into now? What does it look like for me to embrace you now? All these questions that we never have some kind of automatic answers to, I just think God is, let me say this the way I really want to, God is never at work in the, this is how the world should be, this is how the world ought to be. God is always at work in what is. I don't know a better way to say that. God's not at work in any ideals or any abstractions or any concepts about how you think the world should work. It just doesn't matter. God's not at work in the ideas. God's not at work in the ideals. God is at work in the nitty-gritty of real life, some way or the other. And what I think can liberate us so much is if instead of being resistant to that and saying, this is how I think it should be or this is how I think it shouldn't be, instead of doing any of that, if we change the question then to, what is the Holy Spirit inviting me into now? What does God want me to do with this now? What makes that so beautiful is that this is how the Spirit then invites us into a life without fear. Because we don't have to be afraid of looking at things that are hard. We don't have to be afraid. Jesus says that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth. And when we invite the Spirit, we're inviting the Spirit of truth, which will not only tell us the truth about God, it'll show us the truth about ourselves, it'll tell us the truth about the world. This is what I mean. God always works in what is. God always works in truth. God always works in actuality. So we never have to be these people who have to kind of be dodgy, have to hide, have to be afraid of asking the questions because we're afraid of where they might lead us. We're trusting the Spirit in these things. We're trusting the Spirit of truth to illuminate. That's what Jesus says, is that the Spirit will guide us into all truth. As we seek God together in community, the Holy Spirit will reveal God's heart to us. Not always even God's plan. But God's heart, which is much more important, because y'all know by now, I don't think there's much of any plans. It's just, I think there's a lot of heart. Receive it, don't receive it. I just think the whisper of the Holy Spirit always is, what are you going to do with what actually is? What are you going to do with this now? After the emotion is settled, right, and after, when you're not defensive anymore, and you're no longer insisting, and you're no longer upset, what are you going to do with what's actually in your hands? Are you going to allow that to become an invitation? Because see, here's the thing. I really believe that God always does his most profound work on the other side of the whirlwind. That like all of those things that have been shaken and stirred, all those things that have changed, all those things you don't know what to do with, oh my goodness, it, it produces a life of such deep trust in God that's no longer now tethered to any particular outcomes, you know? It's no longer I'm following Jesus so that my life will look like this, this, and this. I'm following Jesus because I trust that Jesus is the full revelation of who God is, and I believe that he is good, and I believe that God is for me, and I believe that God loves me. And when it becomes about like abiding in God in that way and trusting God in that way as opposed to, and this is, by the way, so much of how we think in this regard. I'm doing a lot of riffing this morning. It's really not your fault. It's really not our fault because this is what we've been, this is what we've heard in Christian culture for so long. 
So many of us were converted under the premise that if you become a Christian, then everything is going to work out like this. And you end up with this sense that you really do sometimes want your money back because it's like, (laughs) I did all that stuff and this is not what I got. But that's what the preacher told me. Is that a surprise, you know? And I wouldn't say that in such a silly way if I didn't really believe that what we actually get in life in the Spirit is so much better than what anybody ever promised us. It's just not neat. But that's what makes it so beautiful is that it's a life with so much freedom when you're no longer having to cling on to ideals and notions and concepts about how the world's supposed to be. Imagine that. So then no matter how much things shake, move, no matter how dark it might become, we have the freedom then to always open up our hands and trust and believe that God is good and that God loves us and for us because now we're, just, we're, we're no longer bound to any of that kind of thinking anymore. I'm landing with this. Um, I had an experience earlier this week. Some of this I feel like I'm, I might shouldn't even talk about out loud because you really will think I'm crazy and I might actually be, I don't know. I just know like there's a lot, there's a lot going on with me these days that feels like the Lord, I don't know. But I felt like there's a mountain um, near my house. Maybe you've heard of those. There's like a, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, there is a, we, I, I drive to this little mountain. I had this weird sense for like a couple of days where I really felt like, I don't know, the Spirit was calling me to the mountain, which seems so weird. But there was this sense of like that if you'll come here, then I will meet you in this place in a particular way. And I don't think that's magic. I think, you know, set a, just consecrated time, space, whatever. And Tuesday of this week, I went to the mountain and uh, I specifically felt like that morning, like first thing, that the Lord was dealing with me about some fear and like some deep-rooted fear, like stuff that doesn't seem to go away and it seems to so inform how I move and how I think about everything. So I was early on the trail um, while already feeling like just, just being attentive, just being kind of mindful to this thing of fear. And there was something that God wanted to do about that. When I saw, so help me, the biggest snake I've ever seen in my life... <laughs> Not in a zoo. I'll put it like that, you know? So it wasn't like, I've seen the pythons at the zoo. We don't have those. But it was the biggest snake I've ever seen in real life. That's the truth. And, y'all, I'm telling you, I am like a four-year-old girl when I see (laughs) snakes. That sounded so not feminist. And I am actually kind of a feminist. I'm sorry about that. But you know what I mean? Like, I get real, like, squealy and, like, I just want to run in the opposite direction. I mean, I have, like, if you understood... I have run from the smallest snakes you've ever seen, little garden snakes or whatever. And I mean, like, I mean, it's irrational. And I won't kill them. I'm not going to be that guy. Like, I'm not going to go get the hoe. I would just, like, I would want to go hide under something and just pretend that the snake is not there, right? Because, once again, that's, that's kind of how my faith often works. If I pretend the snake is not here, then it's not here. Wishful thinking. Just keep telling yourself. Positive reinforcement, right? <laughs> I heard a faith preacher a while back, I came across on TV, talking about looking in the mirror and no matter what wrinkles you see, just telling yourself over and over again, I am young, I am young, I am young. (laughs) Cool. These white hairs are not spreading through my beard. It's not happening. (laughs) Done, in Jesus' name, whatever. But I felt like there was this really strange invitation for me to where I felt like Instead of being afraid of the snake or instead of feeling repulsed by the snake, never done this in my life, I wanted to get a little bit closer to the snake. Like, not too close, but a little closer than I was. I walked a few steps over, still being cautious, 
And I actually, like for a few minutes, I just watched the snake. I watched it move. I took a couple pictures. And I had this, like, and I, I mean, I wasn't thinking too hard about this at the time. I, I started walking up from that part of the trail, and it's like, what on earth was I doing? I mean, I always run from snakes. Like, what, what is this about? And I felt like in all of that really was an invitation from the Holy Spirit that like, okay, th- th- this is the season of life that this is for you right now to where you don't have to be afraid of looking at the snake. Look at the snake as long and hard as you need to. Uh, maybe even see that the snake belongs on the mountain too. The snake belongs in this ecosystem every bit as much as you do. And instead of freaking out and running, see its place here. See where it belongs. What is there to learn by bearing witness to this part of creation just like any other part? And it wasn't until later when I'd kind of got to the top of the mountain that I started feeling kind of macho about this. And I was like, (laughs) I got closer to the snake. You would think I would have wrestled with an alligator like I felt so good about myself. It's like I, I leaned in. I got pictures. Like the whole deal. It's just so... It's just so unlike me. Once again, I didn't like, I wasn't, I wasn't handling the snake. <laughs> I'll let it bite me, and then I'll know whether or not my faith is genuine. <laughs> this illustration works on so many levels, it's unbelievable. <laughs> like, it's not about some putting yourself through some kind of weird test. Like, let's see what I might survive. <laughs> How much danger could I get myself in and just live? No, just this sense of like, it's okay to see the world for what it is without fear and to trust that God is good, to trust that God will give you perspective. And I think it's exactly when we come to that place to where we're no longer resisting, denying reality in some way, that then there's really room for us to embrace the wind of the Spirit. We can bend, we can adapt, we can shift courses. Oh, I wasn't planning on seeing the snake, but that's okay. Is this the kind of life we see modeled with the Apostle Paul? It's so interesting to me how often he sets off to do something with a clear sense of mission and purpose. Terrible things happen, and he never seems too thrown off by this because there's always this sense, well, if there was a storm, surely God knew there was going to be a storm. If there's going to be a shipwreck, if there's going to be a snake bite, surely there's provision for all of these things. And, 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 you, and you can relax, and you can just, again, accept this invitation Where is God in this? Where is the Spirit working now? Stand with me, please, so that I don't overcook this further. I just want to, before we come to the table, I just want um, really to pray for you in a very simple way. Once again, this is the season of Pentecost. This is the time when, as a church, we reflect on the Holy Spirit. And I just would love um, for some of you to enter into the kind of freedom that comes when you're able to really welcome the wind of God, we're able to really believe that even in the things in your life right now that seem the most uncertain, the most dicey, that somewhere in that, the wind of the Spirit is moving. There is an invitation to deeper trust. There is an invitation to a deeper kind of knowing of God. I just would love to see you get to a place where you're able to really trust that, where you're able to really trust God in that. Lord, we just want to... Just for a moment now, just to invite you to just clear um, just all the debris of our anxieties and concerns, and most of all, maybe this morning, to clear away from us all of our expectations about what life is supposed to look like, about how you're supposed to work or not work. And we want to just open our hands and open our hearts to you 
without any fear. We do welcome you, spirit of truth, to give us eyes to be able to see and ears that are able to hear so that instead of burying our heads in the sands, we, we are able to, to see the brokenness in the world around us. We're able even to see the brokenness in ourselves. But we're also able to trust your spirit to come and hover and abide over those broken places, bringing healing, bringing life, bringing some kind of order. But we just, we just don't want to force that. And we don't want to look at chaos and call it order. We, we, we see the chaos for what it is, but we believe that you're working in it. And we just invite you now, Spirit of God, even in this moment, just to begin to bring clarity, to bring peace, to bring comfort, to bring calm, to allow us to abide in the, in the deep, dark, unknowing, but to be with you there and not feel alone. Spirit of God, I, feel, I just feel you especially pressing that in on us now. Let us abide in the deep, dark, unknowing, and yet know that we are not alone. Yes. And you are with us. And you are good. And you love us. I pray, Lord, that instead of being inflexible and instead of being rigid, you would allow us to become... spiritual gymnasts who are able to bend, who are able to move, who are able to be flexible, who are able to be surprised, and yet to always, always trust you and always trust your heart for us. We ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Sanctuary Church. If you're in the Tulsa area, we invite you to attend one of our weekend services at 5 p.m. on Saturday, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. on Sundays. And if you would like more information on who we are and what we're about here at Sanctuary or to give online, please visit our website at SanctuaryTulsa.com or you can download our mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. We hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week.